0: Well, we are making our way through Jonah's story. We're into the chapter three, the third week. Um, If you've been gone, if you've missed week one or you've missed week two, um, let me encourage you, when you miss a Sunday, you're on vacation or the kids are sick, one of the responsibilities that I want to encourage you to fulfill would be to take time during the week afterwards to listen to the preached word. Uh, I'm sure you can find outstanding messages online from incredibly gifted uh, uh, preachers around the world. And they're, they're helpful to listen to. But this is your local church, and the preached word on Sunday morning is coming from one of your pastor's who knows you and cares for you and wants to be able to equip you and serve you. And so responsibly take time to catch up when you miss a Sunday so that when you come in the following Sunday or whenever, you're up to speed, so to speak, with where we are and what we are, are doing. And I think it will serve you in the long run. And and you'll be able to, as we're going through Jonah 3 today, you'll be able to get your arms around all of Jonah, not just Jonah chapter 3. So let me encourage you to do that. Um, If you would, it will help us as a church, not just you individually, but it actually serves us corporately. And I want us to be able to, to work and walk together through this. All right. There was a Sunday, once a Sunday school teacher who taught a lesson about the story of Jonah. When she had finished, she asked her class, Okay, everybody, what did we learn today from the story of Jonah and the big fish? One eight-year-old girl thought for a moment and said, Always travel by air. (laughs) Very true. Well, for the past two weeks, we've studied this memorable and amazing story in the book of Jonah of God's grace and mercy in the life of this man. We saw in chapter one, God in his mysterious but very lavish grace extend mercy to the city of Nineveh by warning them of impending judgment and their impending doom because of their great wickedness. So, God sees this great city, this exceedingly great city. It's named Nineveh. There is great wickedness there. And God, in his mercy, calls a prophet named Jonah to go to that city and call out against it to proclaim the Lord's judgment. He sends Jonah to deliver this message, but Jonah refuses, and he runs away from Nineveh. And in chapter 2, we, are in, we encounter this great miracle, this great fish. A great storm has come. Jonah's thrown overboard. And of course, when you get thrown overboard in a great storm, the ensuing end should be you drown. Except that God, in his sovereignty, sends this great fish who swallows Jonah. Jonah lives in the belly of the whale, or great fish, for three days and three nights. And at the end, he is repenting before the Lord. And at the end of Jonah 2, we see that this great fish vomits Jonah out onto dry land. And the the points that we saw last week in the message, the downward path of sin, the chastising mercy of God, and the restoring grace of God. Jonah is... A remarkable story. A remarkable story not about a great storm, a remarkable story not about a great fish, not about a wayward prophet, but about a remarkable God who is great in compassion towards sinners. And we see that in the life of Jonah, and we will see it this morning in the life of the people of Nineveh. And in the, in this wonderfully creative and I think well vividly written book by God we see God extending lavish grace, the lavish grace of his forgiveness where instead he should be meeting out judgment and wrath. That's what's so remarkable about not this this story, that is the story of the Bible. That God, in His holy righteousness, should be meting out wrath and judgment upon a sinful people, all people, who have rebelled and rejected God. And instead of meting out wrath and judgment, God extends lavish grace and mercy and forgiveness. And this chapter and this story shows us what that is like. Now, in chapter 2 last week, some of the lessons we learned is that, and it, and it fits with exactly the character of God, God's grace never gives up on us. God's grace never gives up on us. And God's, secondly, God's sovereign purposes will always come to pass in our lives. And thirdly, we have been saved, forgiven, and set apart by God to be instruments in rescuing others like we were rescued. That's what chapter 2 teaches us in Jonah. And so the proposition that I gave you for the message on the first chapter of Jonah two weeks ago, and it's the same proposition I used last week, it's the same proposition again this week. It will not change in the book of Jonah. And that is this, the book of Jonah exists to teach us to obey God's command To share the gospel. Trust his sovereignty in evangelism. And celebrate his grace towards sinners and saints. So read with me in chapter 3. Read along. Open your Bibles, your phones, your iPads, or whatever you've memorized. Verse 1, chapter 3. Then we look at verse 10 of chapter 2. And the Lord spoke to the fish and vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah rose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. And he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh. Let everyone turn from his evil ways and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster he had said that he would do to them. And he did not do it. Four points in Jonah this morning. What we see in this chapter, we see a remarkable restoration, a remarkable privilege, a remarkable revival, and a remarkable mercy. Verses 1 and 2, a remarkable restoration. Verse 1, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. After a week of rebellion and disobedience and a little bit of time in a great fish, Jonah is a changed man and God calls him the second time. This tells us a great deal about God's grace. He simply does not hold grudges against people. We are so different from the Lord, are we not? How easily we hold grudges against those who wrong us, and yet the Lord... Forgets our iniquities. What Devin just read, he remembers our sins no more. Jonah is given a second chance, and this second chance is a recurring theme throughout Scripture. One poignant example is Peter in John 21. After denying the Lord three times on the night of Jesus' arrest, the Lord forgives John. The Lord restores. John. The Lord calls John back into ministry. Familiar passage to you all. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, this is after he had denied the Lord three times. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. Jesus said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. He's thinking back to his denial. Lord, you know everything, and you know that I love you. And Jesus said, Feed my sheep. That is restoration. And Jonah is experiencing the very same. Thing here. The word of the Lord comes to Jonah a second time. It is a remarkable restoration to the initial call that God spoke to Jonah. But in verse 2, he goes on, and if these are familiar words, they should be from chapter 1. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. In chapter 1, Verse 2, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it for the evil, their evil has come up before me. God's purpose and mission for Jonah has not changed. After, After his rebellion, God has extended mercy and grace to him. The chastisement that Jonah experienced in the fish did not let him off the hook for God's call on his life. That should say something to us. When we struggle in sin, when we struggle, when we've sinned against the Lord, we can often feel as though our life is over, our ministry is over, our future is over. There's not much God can do with us or wants to do with us. And we begin to distance ourselves and become fringe and take a back seat to the life that God has called us to. And yet here in Jonah, God makes it clear. Oh, He is the God of second chances. He is the God of third chances. He is the God who extends mercy and grace. And He has called us. And the, the, the reason He's created us for His glory is to bring and express that glory through fulfilling the things He has told us to do. And here in Jonah, Jonah was, Jonah was created, Jonah was called, Jonah was set apart to be a voice for God, to people who were apart from God, who were evil and wicked. And God, again, because of His mercy towards Jonah and His mercy towards Nineveh the lost, God calls Jonah and tells him again, Arise! Arise, Jonah! Listen, he not only wants to save Jonah, he wants to save Nineveh. His heart is so much bigger than one person, and because he wants to see many come to faith, he sends Jonah his word again. Think about that. Jonah, as a prophet of God, would hear the word of the Lord. God would speak to him. And when Jonah ran, he tried to run from the presence of God. He tried to run from hearing God speak. And God, in his mercy, restores him. And so God speaks to him again. And he wants to do the same for us. He wants to speak to you again and again and again. It is a remarkable restoration that sets Jonah on the path to Nineveh. Secondly, it's a remarkable privilege that Jonah has. Look at verse 3. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. It was a word of the Lord to Jonah, and it was a word of the Lord that was going to come from Jonah. So he sends Jonah to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days journey in breath. With Jonah's rebellion and his excuses behind him now, he, he does go. He goes to Nineveh to speak to God. He's just spent three days. Think about it, he had just spent three days in the belly of a great fish. In in two ten, this we see this fish this fish vomits Jonah on dry land, and we read in chapter three that now, now that he's on dry land, his mission is about to begin again. He is privileged once again, to represent the Lord. Now, just try to imagine how this all began. The journey from the fish to the land. I, I, I sit there and I think about this. Okay, when, when it says he vomited him, it says he vomited him, verse 10, upon the dry land. So was it, was it like a rocket going out? I mean, how, how, did, it, how did it go? Did he just like shoot out and just land gently on his feet? Did he kind of skip along the water like a rock and just finally land on the beach? How, how did that happen? And how far did he fly in the air when he went? And, and what did the landing look like? And were, were there people around? Can you imagine? You're, you're on vacation. You're on the beach. You're just sitting there and you hear this thud. And here's this guy just covered in gunk and seaweed and he looks at you and just says uh-huh and walks away i mean he just what 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 was what was the journey to Nineveh like because he gets onto dry land and and did he get i mean did the whale shoot him all the way to Nineveh well i don't think so. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh. So we know that he landed away from Nineveh, most likely where he started in Joppa. And now he has about a 500-mile journey, 600 miles to get to Nineveh. God speaks to him on the way, the exact word. He said, go to that great city and tell it the message I tell you. And and no doubt when he arrived in Nineveh, 600-mile dusty journey, mixed covered with fish vomit and seaweed, it's no surprise he had everyone's attention. No surprise at all. Now, think about this. In Israel, Jonah had a stellar reputation. He had a remarkable privilege to be a prophet for God. And he had a stellar reputation as a powerful prophet who gets kings to repent when he speaks the word of God. When he spoke to the wicked king Jeroboam II, Jeroboam repented. Israel repented. That was the reputation Jonah had. And in this, very much so, his reputation must have suffered. And yet God still uses him. Jonah goes to the wicked in Nineveh. A city that is dangerous, a city that is violent as we see here, a city that easily could be the cause of his death and yet now that he's had this remarkable restoration and he once again recognizes this remarkable privilege he goes to Nineveh. This is Jonah's remarkable privilege and it's the same privilege of being an instrument for God in seeing sinners rescued from the judgment of God. And it's not reserved for Jonah alone. Jonah's story, my friends, in some ways fits all of us. We struggle with sin. We distance ourselves at times from the presence of God. But God has created us for a purpose and He's called us to the same. And here, as we see, it, it is a privilege for Jonah to go. It's a privilege for us to be here this morning. It's a privilege for us to represent God on this earth. And we must be willing to obey the command and the call we've been given to go and tell the story of Jesus Christ. And what a story we have to tell. If we're weak and frail like Jonah, that's okay. Because it's the message of the gospel that matters. It's the gospel that's the power of God to salvation. Our failures or our unwillingness, our struggles, it never deters God from the mission He's called us to and His people to rescue sinners. Listen, please don't allow your failures to ever be an excuse to not be a voice for God. It's a privilege to be used by God in all of our weaknesses and feebleness. Charles Spurgeon said this, Even if the souls we seek should all persist in unbelief, if they all despise and reject and ridicule us, yet it will be a divine work to have at least made the attempt. He goes on to say, I've often been surprised at the mercy of God to myself. Poor sermons of mine that I could cry over when I get home have led scores to the cross. And ordinary conversations, mere chance sentences, as men call them, have nevertheless been as winged arrows from God and have pierced men's hearts and laid them wounded at Jesus's feet. I have often lifted up my hands in astonishment and said, how can God bless such feeble instrumentality? Who's not, who's not there in that? Who, who doesn't feel the same? But we have a remarkable privilege as Jonah had a remarkable privilege that even in our feeble instrumentality, God speaks through us. God speaks through His people. Thirdly, a remarkable revival. Now, let me... Take a step back and tell you why I think at times we don't feel the weight of this remarkable privilege and we don't feel the, the impact of what has happened to us. Luke, in Luke 7, a familiar story, and you don't have to turn there, but I'll read it to you. Luke 7. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. He says this. He says, but he Who is forgiven little loves little. I think over time the distance from what we were like at that moment we were born again. We were regenerated. And how sinful we were. It fades over time. And We can feel forgiven little. And it can create in us a lack of love. We can love little. I find it a helpful exercise at the least yearly, if not more often, just to think back to my salvation, the day I was born again. And I project, I think, okay, if I was not born again at that moment, what would my life be like today? Where would I be today? And the scenarios I come up with are all ugly and terrible. The privilege we have to share Christ like Jonah. It is a remarkable privilege. And it should be grounded, rooted, anchored in our love for God and for the vast forgiveness that we've experienced. Thirdly, a remarkable revival. What is is remarkable about this revival to me in in chapter 3 is that God cares about a pagan people. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. Three days journey in breath. And in chapter 1, we see that arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against, against it, for their evil has come up before me. It is an evil city. It is a great city. And, and when you think about its three days journey in breath, it's an exceedingly great city that is evil, then that means there is exceedingly great evil in that city. That's, it's so big, and it's filled with evil. And God cares about it, that he sends Jonah. Now, Think back to Genesis and Sodom and Gomorrah. God did not send a prophet to warn Sodom and Gomorrah. He sent two angels to rescue one family, but he did not warn Sodom and Gomorrah. Their evil was so great before them that he just destroyed them. No warning. And here in Nineveh, he gives this compassionate warning. In his compassion, he lovingly warns these people. Judgment is coming. In 40 days. He gives them 40 days to repent. Look at verse 4. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. God gave them 40 days. Our Savior came for the very same reason. He came into a wicked world. He came because God so loved the world. He sent His only Son to warn of judgment, to preach repentance, to save sinners. Jonah is a shadow of the gospel. But where Jonah stops, Jesus goes all the way. And Jonah makes his way through this exceedingly great city. And he preaches eight words. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And one of the commentators said in in the Hebrew, it's actually only five words. And verse 5 this remarkable revival occurs. And the people of Nineveh believed God. In the NASB it says, the people of Nineveh believed in God. It has a preposition there. What we know is, they responded to God. What a remarkable revival. Grace had changed Jonah Grace had given him a willingness to obey and speak for God. Mercy had gripped his heart. And now he has become a vessel of salvation for an exceedingly great city. An exceedingly great city filled with thousands of people who do not know God. And although a three-day journey to make it across is what it took to get through Nineveh, Jonah only goes a day. And Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. And he called out. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Now, this is a pagan city. I doubt that they understood sackcloth and ashes and fasting and repentance. So there is some assumption that, that Jonah provided a little instruction here. Uh, But they responded to God. They responded to the word of the Lord. God in His mercy opened their eyes and opened their hearts. The reality of divine judgment comes home to the Ninevites. God has made His presence known. The response to Jonah's preaching is immediate. Notice, Notice Jonah's preaching of the Gospel though. It begins, and this is, for us, Jonah's prophecy or proclamation begins with law. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Nineveh shall be judged. Nineveh shall suffer the consequences of their sin. Jonah Speaks with law. It starts with judgment. It starts with the consequences of sin. Jonah doesn't give a soft gospel explanation. He doesn't try to wrap the gospel in some attractive self help approach. He doesn't do it to reach the individual and their individualism and and what's in it for me attitude. No, he gives them. Truth and law and, and hard words. He doesn't make it easy for the Ninevites to hear. Listen, making the gospel attractive is important, but it's only part of the equation. People that we share the gospel with, people who hear the gospel, will not appreciate or fully comprehend the gospel's glorious solution until they understand how severe their problem is. The gospel's not amazing until they understand why it's amazing. Until they see how horrific their consequences will be. You will be destroyed. And the word that Jonah speaks to Nineveh, that you will be destroyed, is the same word that God is speaking today to a generation that is as evil and wicked as the Ninevites. If you do not Trust in Christ, you will be destroyed. And that is not a popular conversation in our day and age. Nor was it a popular conversation in any day and age. But it's truth. And it's at the heart of that is compassion. It's compassion to warn those who are about to perish. When my son was three years old and he would try and run away and he'd run out to the street, it had to be a hard experience for him not to do that. It wouldn't have worked if I said to him, Hey, David, you may not want to do that. Consider something different. Let me give you a few options. No. No, no, he, he, he got the hard word of judgment when he ran out into the street, and rightly so, because it meant to preserve his life. But Jonah not only preached law, my friends, he also revealed the mercy of God. He was a living testimony of God's mercy to sinners in Luke 11.30, Jesus speaks of Jonah being a sign to, to Nineveh. In Matthew's Gospel, Jesus speaks of Jonah and being in the, in the belly of the, of the fish for three days and three nights in reference to his resurrection. But in Luke 11.30, it's a little different. Luke um, records that Jesus speaks of Jonah being a sign to Nineveh. Now, what kind of sign is that? Because Luke records it differently. It's very possible, it's very possible that before Jonah arrived in Nineveh, his story about the great fish was known. And the story would be about him, because this is what he told the sailors who survived, I was running from the presence of God. And for Jonah, because this... The sailors didn't know as far as we know that he got swallowed by a great fish. The sailors wouldn't know that he got vomited on land. The sailors might have heard about him when he finally shows up in Nineveh. And he is a living testimony of the mercy of God. And Nineveh gets it. They called, verse 5, they called for at last, A fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. And it goes on. The king orders a fast. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he rose from his throne and removed his robe and covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. Now, think about this. This great king of this exceedingly great city, who is covered in royal robes, hears the word of the Lord and he takes off all his royalty. He puts on sackcloth and he sits in ashes and he orders everyone to fast from food and water, including all the animals. And, and <laughs> I, I don't quite get this. He says, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. I mean, it, c- can you imagine you're a dog in Nineveh and your, your master comes up to you and says, sackcloth, no food, no water, sit, ashes, right there. I mean, a do- the cattle, whoever, that's how pervasive, that is how pervasive the conviction of God's Spirit is when He comes. Like the sea captain and crew in chapter 1, Nineveh turns their hope towards God. Look at verse 9. Verse 8, Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. In verse 9, who knows? Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. The king puts his hope in God's mercy for Nineveh's future, for his future. And like the sea captain in chapter 1, they look to the sovereign God for hope. What is also remarkable about this revival? is how broad and powerful it is. Nineveh is large, and so it it touches everybody. It touches everybody. A remarkable restoration. A remarkable privilege to preach the gospel. A remarkable revival. And finally, a remarkable mercy. Look at verse 10. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. God stays his hand of judgment. You know what is so remarkable about that? Is that if you move forward. Decades down the road, Assyria, which is where Nineveh is located, Assyria attacks Israel and overthrows Israel and brutalizes Israel. And God, who knows the beginning from the end, knows all things, knows this and he relents. His judgment against Nineveh. That's perplexing. And it is amazing. And it is certainly remarkable. This country in the future will treat God's chosen people brutally, wickedly, sinfully. And yet God at this moment extends mercy to them. Why would he do that? simply because he is merciful. And although Assyria does eventually attack Israel, we must rightly assume that not all have turned their back on God. You know, knowing what happens down, years down the road, it might make you wonder, because it has me, why revivals happen at all since they don't seem to last. You think about it. 1600s, the Reformation in Europe. And right now, Europe is one of the darkest places in all the world. The 1700s, the Great Awakening in America. And yet, look at what's going on in America today. 1800s, the Scottish Revival. I was in Scotland a couple of years ago, and I go into this... I, I see this absolutely beautiful Presbyterian Scottish church built somewhere in the 1700s. It is just, its architecture is stunning. And it is now a pizza parlor. The 1900s, the Welsh revival in Wales. And yet, if you go into Wales today, and I've been to Wales, Devon was recently in Wales, you see... There's much unbelief. Maybe two percent of the population even trusts in Christ. And even in which you might remember the Billy Graham Crusades. But what these revivals did was they awakened the hearts of believers and unbelievers. And There was a legacy left behind from every revival who further advanced the gospel for the glory of God. And I would contend that there are people in this room right now who have come to faith in Christ because some distant relative or friend who was awakened decades ago, hundreds of years ago, in one of these revivals brought their legacy down to where we are sitting here today. You can have faith and trust that the saving power of God always saves those who are genuinely converted. And understand that though people are not always genuinely converted in situations like revivals, we often see that they are genuinely responsive. And Matthew 13, the parable of the the sower, can help us understand. You know, some seed falls on the path and just gets snatched away and some on the rocky soil and some in the thorns and the thistles and then some on good soil but remember this too is that in my lifetime i've seen there are some people who whose seed has fallen into the thorns and the and the thistles and the the deceitfulness of riches and the world is, has choked out their fruitfulness and yet over time god in his mercy has moved them to fruitful soil people aren't always where they end they start and that is the mercy of God. And so in Jonah, we see God's mercy again and again, his grace, his remarkable grace, because we see a remarkable restoration, we see a remarkable privilege, we see a remarkable revival, and in the very end, we see a remarkable mercy. So what, what lessons can we learn from Jonah 3? Number one is this, God has saved us to be vessels of his mercy. God has saved us to be vessels of his mercy. We are to be the voice. God has called us to be the voice of the gospel. That's the second one. Jonah's Jonah's word from God and the mercy of God in his life stirred the Ninevites to repentance. How much more will our sharing our lives and the gospel's effect upon us and the good news of forgiveness from sin and the resurrection of eternal life because of the cross of Christ, persuade the unbeliever. It will. When we tell them of Jesus rising from the dead, when we tell them of Jesus' atoning death on the cross, when we tell them that it was an acceptable payment to God for our sins, we can hope and believe that they too can respond in repentance. Brothers and sisters, Grace Church exists to help you grow as a disciple so that you will glorify God in your life. Grace Church exists so that you can help each other grow as disciples so that you can glorify God in your life. Grace Church exists so that we can make new disciples so that we can glorify and see them glorify God in our lives and their lives. So our proposition is this. The book of Jonah exists to teach us to obey God's command, to share the gospel, trust his sovereignty and evangelism, and celebrate his grace towards sinners and saints. Jonah is a celebration of the grace and mercy of God in the life of sinful people. And that is us. That is us. So be Encourage today that God is working. God is working in the midst of our American culture. God is working to glorify His name through the salvation of many. Father, thank You that You are at work. Thank You that You have men like Jonah that can be an example to us. Lord, how kind of you to save us and Lord we ask as a church that you would use us to lead others to faith in you may we have that privilege and Lord we pray for revival we pray that you would awaken our hearts and you would awaken the hearts of those who don't know you that you might be glorified in Christ's name Amen